in the 21st century Hard-working people working hard for you and me Moving higher time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving to Moving Iron Podcast number 182. This week, my guest is Rich Pawson, and this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zone, delivering insights, and Dry Shod Boots, the official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast. So I'm super excited to have Rich Pawson back, um, back in the mix here. It's been a while since he's been on the show, and uh, Rich is one of those guys that I found on Twitter couple years ago and we developed a relationship and he uh took some different positions and moved around we had to had to cease a little bit but i came across rich the other day because he started a new podcast and i'm super excited about that and it's called uh critical point is the name of this podcast so rich man welcome back to the show it's been a little bit yes thank you oh man all right rich so there's a million things going on in the marketplace but before we get too far down that road tell people about your uh podcast critical point and what it's all about okay so at the critical point podcast um what i do is every week i have a variety of podcasts on different markets the primary focus is grains oil seeds and stock indexes but i also look at the economy i look at climate uh, I look at the dollar interest rates, and we're now probably in the next few weeks going to add some of the soft type commodities, livestock. Uh, followers are already saying, okay, I, you have these particular markets, but we know you've got experience in other markets, so can you add these? So slowly we'll continue to expand on the number of markets. But like I say, the focus primarily is what is the economy up to, what's the stock market, and what are the grains and oil seeds? So these podcasts put out analysis and yes there'll be some audio podcasts where i'll primarily just give an alert a signal a quick opinion otherwise the podcasts are videos because i like people seeing what i'm looking at on my chart and i label the chart with what the model is is uh, putting as its output what what's the model calling what is it forecasting and it makes more sense to people than if they tried to read a report and look at a chart they can see me actually drawing on the chart help explain it so they really like that and so I just do this week after week and uh, charge a small fee for the premium service. Uh, that's pretty much where we have the alerts and signals. Uh, there's a lot of free information and, and analysis and opinions of what I think is going on in the world. Okay. And where do people find that podcast at? Uh, criticalpoint.podbean.com. Okay. Very simple site. It'll just come up. It just has a list of the, uh, of the various podcasts. Uh, some people are finding it through the Apple podcast system as well, but you have to remember in the premium service, you need, need to go to the site and sign up. Gotcha. Okay. Right on. So that's the best, that's the best website to go to, to find your podcast and then all your analysis as well. Yes. Okay. Right on. Good deal. Okay, Rich. So speaking of analysis, so there is, uh, just all kinds of stuff going on. Economies in turmoil. Just, uh, I know right before, um, you were on the podcast last, um, this would have been, about Christmas, right around Christmas of 2019, um, 
Rich was on and we were talking about some stuff and you were kind of laid out a few alerts and some ideas that you saw there was going to be a contraction in the uh, in the market and in the overall economy and we, we started to see that long before the coronavirus thing happened and now the coronavirus still kind of eased into it and uh, made its big splash and uh, here we are and it doesn't really matter what what market you're in they're all they're all kind of going crazy so um, one thing that I've been paying close attention to just because it's correlation to corn is ethanol and as I look at the ethanol market and I start seeing what's going on out there I just have this it just makes sense to me that once ethanol plants are, are drawing in corn uh, and making ethanol again obviously the price of corn is going to go up before that happens we got to get people working and people driving and doing all these different things and using fuel to go from point A to point B. Um, I guess what's your what's your thoughts on that and what's your thoughts on overall just the energy market in general? Right. Uh, for the ethanol, in fact, I'm looking at the ethanol futures chart right now. You can just see we had that serious collapse in late February through March, mm-hmm. right in line with the collapse of the economy, stock market, crude oil, everything was falling apart. But uh, as of this week, we've seen a nice uh, recovery here. Uh, basically, looking back probably, what, four weeks ago, uh, looks like ethanol was down about 83 cents, and this looks like it closed this week out at $1.10. And some of the news that's come in is that the ethanol industry is getting its act together. It's trying to balance out supply and demand. As we know, it really shut down, far more shutdowns than I can recall in prior years. And now what they're seeing is they're starting to draw those stocks down. So that's starting to support price here. We're also seeing some stability in the crude oil market. So that's trickling in the gasoline market. Uh, So, you know, it's looking a little bit optimistic here that ethanol has found a floor. Uh, Now, that doesn't mean it's going to fully recover overnight either. We still have a lot of demand issues over on the gasoline side. Uh, gasoline basically was down 42% in demand here, and that only took it a couple months to do it. And back in 2017, with a major energy company that was also a major ethanol producer, uh, I went ahead and made a forecast that, yeah, I was looking for a recession in 2018 to 2021, and was going to do the best I could catch the top. And I said, I think it's going to be a mild recession, but I said you could still see gasoline hit by 7 to 15% in demand. And here we have this virus-related recession, and man, it just got slapped. I mean, 42% mm-hmm. down in demand, and global demand's been off 30 or 40% as well, so it's worldwide. So a serious hit on, on demand on gasoline. So it's fully understandable why crude oil and gasoline took hits and why ethanol had to follow. But I must say crude oil is acting a little stable here right now, like maybe the worst is over. But it may take quite a while here to, like, base build. Uh, I think longer term, looking out five, seven years, I think the whole economy will be recovering. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I, I think we will see better, more stable energy markets moving forward. We just don't know how many pops and drops we'll get along the way. How much of a struggle will it be? You know, I, I can't. I'm not saying we've seen the absolute lowest price, but I'm kind of leaning that way. That they've tra- pretty much dialed in the worst. Now, another thing that got me answered is, even though I said it fell 42 percent, that was actually a, a two or three weeks ago, and at the EIA site, the government site on energy, they showed this week their four-week average is demand down just 39%. Still devastating, but at least it's a tick up. I mean, right. yeah. for five weeks, it was just straight down, 
And here we're starting to see a little tick up in demand. Now it's way behind. Normally the demand would rise into June. Uh, and so it's obviously way behind. So I'm not saying it's going to fully recover by no means, but a bit of hope there uh, that we're seeing a little turnaround. Something else that might relate to this uh, economy, to the economy and to say the energy markets is uh, there's some studies out there in the restaurant uh, sector of the economy, and I think includes some stores. Uh, I meant to write down the name of the site here, but at any rate, they were showing a few weeks ago that uh, they were down 74% on their index or indicator of how the restaurants and stores were performing. And now the indicator is down 51%, still devastating low, but a nice turn up. Uh, a related site also showed uh, jobs related to some of these businesses here that have been shut down. They were kind of like saucering out of some kind of bowl bottom, like it was just slowly starting to turn up. So I think it's kind of encouraging that in the next few months, we're probably going to reopen the economy. People are going to be back to driving, traveling around, going to pick up the gasoline demand. And when they open all, yes, we're going to see this ethanol improve into summer here. And obviously that relates to corn price. I mean, we lost a significant portion of our demand. I mean, ethanol is, uh, what, 30% of the demand probably, and 50% is... Uh, is uh, just domestic like feed use and then the re remainder is export so the ethanol really you know at least held back corn while the entire economic recession brought it down right right yep. so uh even this week on the podcast I, I put out an alert for a certain type of uh buy signal and i haven't had any buy signals in corn all year long i've had nothing but sell signals and some of those uh, cash flow monthly sell signals that worked 100 percent of the time we made several and we've had some Ford marketing sales, uh, very few of them that were done at much higher prices quite a while ago, haven't done anything since. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of thinking, you know, for a feed user looking out the summer, uh, this has been beaten up pretty good here. Uh, I just question whether we're actually going to see futures below three bucks in, in corn, you know? Right. Uh, so I, I want to give it a chance to, to maybe get on board to some kind of summer rally here, a little weather concern. Uh, and I'm sure they're going to, to me, all these commodity futures traders at least, if not the commercials, and I've worked for commercials in prior years here, it just seems, feels like everybody's going to say, you know what, we will get through this and better days are coming. So how cheap do we really want to sell things? We, you know, They're going to start flipping where they have to be optimistic and they got to get out there and do some business, right? Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the economy as in general, just as a whole. So uh, we have... I think in Nebraska where I'm at, this is about the sixth week, I think, uh, since we've had the shutdown, uh, what that looks like and, you know, stay at home, not necessarily stay at home orders. We didn't really get that. We just got the, you know, we can't go to any really social gathering places. You can't go to bars, restaurants, those kind of things. Uh, just the, uh, quote unquote, essential, uh, businesses can be open grocery stores, those kind of things. Uh, as you take a look at the overall economy, and you see what's going on there and with the amount of people that aren't working, the amount of revenue that's not being generated, tax revenue that's not being generated by that as well. Um, I guess what's your, what's your thought about the economy and how far are we going to, I mean, this, this recession thing, we teetered on that all the way through um, 2019 going into to 2020 and, and through the spring here and now we're at, and, you know, they've pumped so much money in, into uh into the marketplace, quantitative easing is just taking back off again. I guess as you look at the 
the rest of 2020 going to 2021 with interest rates as low as they are now and you know what is that going to look like i mean are we going to see some some inflationary issues pop up out of this that that we just can't control anymore or do you feel like there's going to be more of a kind of a, a slide back out of this yeah, uh, down the road, I, I see some inflation. Let's first just discuss where we are with the economy. And, and like I was telling you, the model starting in 2018, we said, we got to be careful here. We got to look for a recession. And, and I must say, by late 2019, when the Fed started pumping money in, the reason they were pumping money is it really wasn't a true QE. And they said it wasn't, but investors and businesses said, oh, yes, it is. And so they became optimistic. And at least in the stock market, they were buying stocks. Really what the Fed was doing is they detected that we had an unstable financial system, uh, that things were starting to slip on them. And normally at the end of every year, they do have some problems. But I think they got scared it was going to be more than normal. And so they were trying to counter that, and stock market just got all excited about it. Even some business people got excited. And it's kind of fascinating to me. It looks like some business metrics showed that some businesses really were not that optimistic, even from since uh, Trump got elected. They were... They might have said they were all for Trump, but boy, they really did not invest much or do much or anything. I think they were always concerned over a coming recession, and I think they were concerned of the trade war. And I think towards the end of 2019, they started thinking that they had waited too long. It was time to get going, get excited, do some more business, because in January, February, we started getting some of those metrics turning around. They were back to actually hiring more people. If it hadn't been for the recession, we probably would have seen a good economy this year, and I would have had to wait one more year uh, for the recession. But then that virus come in, and that just slammed us, okay? We just shut down the economy. Um, as of today, the monthly jobs report come out, and in April, unemployment rose to 14.7%. I shouldn't say it rose. It soared. Right, uh, yeah. It's the highest level since the 1930s Great Depression. Yep. Uh, so by that measure alone, it's saying, yeah, we're in a great recession, right? Yep. And uh, not yet depression, though, because I, I want to see some 20%, but we may yet see it. I, I was almost leaning towards the seeing 20% or higher in today's report. Uh, so we may still see that move higher because initial jobless claims keep adding more and more people are, are losing work, but less so. It is slowing down. Um, and so, you know, while we're on the right path, we can see the light in the tunnel where pretty soon, okay, we're not getting any more initial jobless claims and, and now unemployment can start working down. Uh, ideally, I think unemployment peaks this year cyclically. It was supposed to shoot up anytime in 2018 to 2020. It may last into 2021, but I, I think this is such a fast and totally different type of disaster that we're also going to get over it quickly for some things. So my guess is that the stock market is probably already bottom, maybe, or will bottom this year. The economy is going to bottom a little later. Uh, unemployment should peak out here a little later this year. Uh, let me give you some statistics here on the, on the economy itself. I use the PMIs, which come out every month, and they're based on manufacturing or services, or you can get a combination. And they've just been devastated, as you might expect. And you can they, There's PMIs in all kinds of countries around the world. And some of them are like record low. Uh, so it's been a disaster for the world as well as just the U.S., right? Now, the thing is, I did a cumulative study in PMI to try to get a handle on once we slow down and then go into recession, how long does that last? And then I went ahead and applied that to the recent peak in our economy last year. 
And it comes out that their earliest for a recession to end would be July, August. On average, it would be November. And the latest wouldn't be to October of next year. So that sends a message. These recessions are all over the place in terms of length. They can be quite length, uh, have a lot of length, and some not, not so long, right? So we got a ways to go yet. My guess is um, you really can't recover these PMIs. You've got to get them back above 50, and they're anywhere from 41 to 30. You got to get them back above 50 to signal you have a chance to turn the GDP up, meaning there's a strong correlation of PMIs to GDP. And most people in this country understand what GDP is. If they hear it's going up, they know the economy's doing better, they're probably going to do better. Going down, <laughs> they got problems. Right. GDP just crashed to what, minus 4% or something, worse since the Great Recession in 2008, 2009. So the point is, if we can detect the PMIs heading up, then we know pretty soon the GDP is, is going to start up as well. And uh, my gut feeling is the economy really isn't going to bottom to near the end of this year. And it may even wait to early next. But as I look out to the end of like 2021, I think we'll have evidence to say we're, we're back on track. Now, as far as getting full recovery and getting the economy to record large, uh, that could actually take uh, two or three years even. But here's how it should work once the economy has bottom. Uh, the model's really good at this, and I've studied the entire history of this country, and it's worked 100% of the time, but when I make a forecast, I tell people, well, it's only 90% probability because I leave 10% just in case I don't know what I'm talking about, or the unknown. And so what this is suggesting is 90% probability that once this economy bottoms this year or next, we're going to see 7 to 12 years of economic growth. And then we'll see another recession. So what this is targeting is around the year 2028 to 2031 is our next primary recession. Now, that doesn't mean we can't have recessions along the way, but they should be minor. In some cases, some industries, some people won't even notice it. I'm talking about the most important kind of recession that occurs during a decade. And so, with any luck at all, we won't get one till near the end of this, this decade again, right? Uh, so, uh, as I apply this to the stock market, it's coming up with the same thing other than it's suggesting the stock market's already placed a long-term bottom. Uh, unfortunately, that's the earliest. So, I could be wrong in throwing some darts here and I won't apologize for it. I'll just simply, I'm already bought into the stock market. I'm just gonna jump out and try it again and try it again. Uh, because it's to me, it's 90% to 100% probability it's going higher in the year 2028 or later. And I think that's going to make for a very good investment. So if we can get the economy to grow along this forecast and get the stock market to go along with this forecast, uh, it looks to me like commodities are going to see better demand. And the interesting thing is the global economy was way behind the U.S. There were some countries that, in my opinion, they never really did much of anything since the 2008-2009 Great Recession. It's, I'm really shocked how they couldn't get going better. Well, when, you, when I went way back hundreds of years even and found cases of when it took a very long time for countries to get going, um, it turned out that they would then perform as good or better than the ones the leaders. Therefore, this decade, it's act the global economy should catch up to the U.S. And what I like about that story is it should also mean better global demand for commodities, which comes right back to the U.S. for better prices and better demand. Okay. Okay. So I'm actually bullish and optimistic when I look out 10 years. The problem is we got a mess right now. I mean, you do have to call this a disaster. And uh, it's going to take a while to get going, even though I'm long-term bullish in stocks and I'm already in. 
you know, there are going to be a lot of ups and downs and go nowhere uh, for quite a while as we work our way out of this. But um, I think we're looking at the worst here. And as I look at some of these commodities like grains and oil seeds, I think uh, it can only get better. And as I look at the applying some cycles to uh, temperature precipitation and corn yield, corn production, same for soybeans, uh, we're due for a crap problem in 2021 to 2024, and I'm pretty confident of that. And I can't tell you which year it'll be, and it might mm-hmm. even be two years that we could have complications. Uh, and I'm sure the rest of the world somewhere is, is also going to have some problems. And as far as accuracy of this kind of modeling, uh, it correctly called the problem in soybeans and wheat in 2017, and it called the problem in 2019 for corn. I'm glad it did because for some of those models, uh, 2019 was the latest year for a problem in corn, and, and it did it. Uh, and now some of the other models still are saying, yeah, well, you know, start preparing for the next crop problem because it, it's of high probability and should work, and we'll, we'll get a bull market. But I'm a little concerned this year could be good crops, and I'm concerned even though I'm feeling a little bullish for the next few weeks here in some of these grains and oil seeds, I'm concerned that we still have these these economic headwinds. So by no means do I think grain prices are just going to explode or anything. It's going to be a, a struggle. But I think there's a chance we're, we're finding, uh, the market's finding its feet and, and putting in some kind of floor price in some of these commodities at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So so here's something I've, I've also had another question too about was, okay, so the overall world economy, it, there's a couple things, obviously the the coronavirus and what it's done to the entire world economy, but moreover, the the weakening of of uh, the Chinese economy to some extent with trade wars and those different things that we saw there, their GDP was was contracting. Um, we saw Saudi Arabia um, and Russia get into a, a contest to see who, who was a bigger player in the oil oil business, and I think that backfired on them a little bit just because of the timing. The coronavirus kind of, I think, really. Um, Stuck it to them more than they than they thought it was going to, and we saw you know obviously negative trading oil and those kind of things. So the overall world economy doesn't seem like it's in very good shape either. Um, compared even compared to what we see happen in the U.S., it seems like it's a lot worse. Um, I guess what's your reaction to the world economy and what you see happening out there based on what you see happening in China and then what you know the coronavirus and the oil is doing to the overall economy? Right. And, and you're correct on that price war. That's uh, even though I said the drop in ethanol and crude oil and stuff was virus related. But um, yeah, the, the Saudi Arabia Russia deal, <laughs> that really put a kink in it. And I agree with you, their, their time was a little bit off. They got more than they bargained for uh, out of that. Uh, yes, the global economy is going to take longer to recover than the U.S. There's just something about the last 100 years. The U.S. has been the leader in the world. If you go back 100, 200 years, you find out really it was something like uh, England was uh, the country that could be the leader and recover uh, faster. It kind of rotates around the world. Countries taking turns of who's the leader. And uh, I fully expect the U.S. to move up first in the economy. Uh, a few Asian countries will probably pick up Eurozone today, it sounds like they're even more nervous than ever. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, that that could take take a while yet, and that's why we might be in a process of a year or two. It might take two or three years from now before we start to see evidence of my long-term bull market idea for some areas of the world. So, as far as me saying, yeah, the world's going to help us out in commodity demand this decade. Yeah, I'm just thinking the entire decade, not necessarily in the next year or two. It could take a while. Now, in China. I, I personally think 
their economy can come back faster than ever, but we don't know. I mean, they took their worst hit in, what, 20 years or something like that. Yeah. Um, my model, uh, well, it might have been a bit luck, but my model actually turned bearish uh, the China stock market just a few days before it crashed. Uh, and then I was shy. I was so proud of what the model did. Uh, I didn't actually trade anything like that. I just wrote the uh, price down on a spreadsheet and said, okay, there's the sell signal. Let's see what happens. And then I was just shocked that it fell that hard. The interesting thing is, is how quickly it came back. It almost fully recovered. It almost came to the price that my model sold at, and then it went back down. But I, I'm really puzzled of how quickly they got to demand. And I think the problem with some of these free markets is they're so fast acting anymore. You give them bad news, and they just say, "Okay, but you know everything's going to recover, so just buy this bad news." And sometimes they. they they make too much uh, jumping around in the market and cause problems uh, for the, everybody else trying to figure out what's going on relative to the fundamentals in the economy. You know? Yeah. Uh, but for the moment, I, I do see, um, as far as using like stock markets for clue for comedy, which is a very important input, um, a lot of the European markets I look at, Asian markets, South American markets, um, they're not really due for a long-term bottom for a few months now, and they could wait to next year. So well, I'm, I'm thinking some of them that are beat up quite well might, um, they might put the lowest price in now kind of track along with the U.S. Whereas the U.S., this is the earliest, and maybe something will go wrong down the road, but the point is it's, it's allowed to put a long-term bottom into the stock market and then within a few months uh, or more for, for the economy. Whereas I'm looking at some of these other markets, I'm thinking this could be a more drawn-out process for the rest of the world. Uh, and again, that's I think that's how I approach it. Probably U.S. recovers first, and then some of the others. Um, and so I'll be watching the China stock market as well, of course, the, their economic indicators, see if I could see evidence of a bottom. But I'm kind of thinking it's later this year uh, is for the first chance to maybe uh, China bottom out on their stock market and, and then we'll just have to see how quickly the economy recovers but I, I think they're lagging I think everybody's lagging the U.S. let's put it that way yeah okay so here's the next one I, this is something else I'm paying attention to just because of where they're rolling into uh, seasonality wise when you look at Brazil Argentina um, they're rolling into their fall winter time frame um, they haven't really done much with with the coronavirus stuff I mean I know they've had some cases but they're not really Social distancing, they're not really doing those things. Uh, 30 days ago, the, uh, uh, what's his name, Bolsonaro uh, came out and said, you know, we're, we're Brazilians, we have strong immune systems, don't worry about the coronavirus thing. I'm paraphrasing there, but it's something along those lines. Um, I mean, as you look at what's going on in the world and how their currency is stacking up, I mean, their currency gets derated about, seems like every other day, it feels like it comes out with a, a different... Uh, lower point than it was uh, the day before and so that, that gives them a, a pretty good advantage when you look at um, exporting crops you've seen the Chinese come in there and just buy so many beans in the last 60 days from uh, from Brazil and not even so much because of the the trade war situation but just because it's that cheap um, to me it feels like the Brazilian agricultural market is a, is a bit of a powder keg and it wouldn't take a whole lot to upset it I guess, what's your thoughts on that, and have you been paying attention to that at all? Yeah, uh, not so much their commodity prices as much as their overall economy, and it does concern me how they're dealing with the virus or whether something can can blow up there. 
the currency, man, it's it's long overdue to swing the other way. But I, I agree with you. It's like there's no evidence uh, of reversing. It just keeps lower and lower, and and, and it does you know it creates a problem with us on on the dollar side. Um, but I think, uh, and, and it is interesting, I just saw a global uh, stock uh, fund manager, uh, he's like 85 years old and still in the business, and uh, he uh, put out that he likes uh, South Korea, Taiwan, India, and Brazil. And I tend to agree with all those except Brazil. I, I, uh, I'm not so sure how much uh, I want to trade a better economy for them. I'd just like to see how they finish the year here. Uh, economic-wise, political-wise, and uh, and then relative to, to this virus. Um, now, as far as upsetting in terms of can they have an economic blowout that just kind of forces their farmers to dump onto the market their commodities, I don't see much evidence out of anybody in South America that that really works. They kind of do just like the farmers here in the U.S., that if things are getting bad and you're not giving them the price, well, you're just not going to buy it, and they're going right. to set on it. And, uh, and I don't know where I'm going with, like, future estimates and, and their production. I mean, normally with this an economic kind of hit, everyone backs off and tries not to produce more. But uh, Brazil has always been resilient, just continue to increase, uh, increase production. So I'm not sure what I want for numbers there uh, going forward for, like, their next crop. I'm not too concerned of their oversupply right now if we can get this economy bottom out this year and and move higher. Uh, if it wasn't for our relations with China, I still believe China would prefer to do business with us. And uh, but when you have uh, Trump, you know, coming out saying, "Well, I don't like what they did over the virus, and this might uh, impact our uh, trade deal," yeah, like shoots in the yeah, trying to heal, get better, you know. Yeah. Uh, yep. But ultimately, again, as I look out. In coming years here, China's economy is going to recover and do well, and so is the U.S. And uh, the interesting thing is, I'd really wish, you know, for commodities, I'd like to, of course, see the dollar come down, as I'm sure a lot of people would. Uh, but and and it's interesting. Some people would say, yeah, but you know, you have to allow these countries to take turns of getting a benefit from their currencies. And so you want South America to maybe be weak and the U.S. dollar is high and give them a chance. And the crazy thing is, as I look back the last 30 years, it seemed like the commodity, the global co commodity economy did better when the U.S. dollar was weaker. Though the, even the South America countries still got more business anyways, and we got more business. So I'm not sure what the bake of that, but uh, right at the moment, we're certainly not seeing the, the weaker dollar. Yeah. <laughs> so, Yep. Which then brings us to your question on inflation. I must say, uh, billionaire Paul Tudor Jones came out today or this week and said uh, he's now a buyer of Bitcoin. And uh, it's going to be a very small purchase. He's just using his inflation hedge. But he really called the gold market this year and some of this economic problems. Uh, and yet here he is now instant Bitcoin. He's, I think he's basically saying he thinks uh, Bitcoin could be a better inflation hedge and gold that you can make more money that way to counter inflation. But why is he worried about inflation? Well, he said, if you look at the amount of money that's been printed uh, here in the U.S., yeah. he says, how can you not have some inflation? 
you know, the way he described it like a month ago when they started first, when the Fed really jumped in and uh, started cranking things up, he just said, this is like bringing a nuclear bomb to a war. He says, yeah, <laughs> you just blow everybody else out, you know? Right. And, uh, and, and, and uh, I think we you know, I, uh, discussed this uh, you know, a long while ago. Uh, you can see that you get these trends for 20 or 30, 40 years when interest rates and inflation are all going the same way. And we saw that from, say, 1950 to 1980, or even 1930 to 1980. Uh, we saw rising interest rates, rising inflation. We saw higher real estate. Commodities were higher, but they, they had quite a few years along the way of just moving sideways, and then you would just get explosions. But basically, the trend was higher. Uh, there was higher labor costs, uh, which helped trigger that higher inflation. Uh, but basically, the economy grew by some measurements, grew better than what we've seen since uh, 1980, actually. Uh, and it, so it was kind of crazy that we had high inflation, but the economy, by some metrics, actually did better. Um, the sad thing is, about 1980, inflation got so high it was killing us. It right. backfired on us. It burned out. Well, the interesting thing is, when that thing burns out, you normally go swing 20, 30, 40 years the other way when you're going to have lower inflation, lower interest rates. You move into a disinflation type of economy, and eventually you do produce too much and you create lower commodity prices. And except for weather scares and, and, and actual weather bull markets, you can see that's just what has happened since 1980. Uh, everything came down. Well, the interesting thing is I'm looking for a super cycle bottom in interest rates starting August, or, or not, actually a few hours ago, I was tinkering with a model and I've decided to move it up a month, starting in July. Uh, to uh, or sometime next year. Now that's the free market interest rates. The Federal Reserve doesn't have to raise its interest rates for two or three years. It, it will likely keep interest rates low even as the economy is doing quite well. It wants to be safe. But the free market interest rates uh, can start moving up at any time now. And uh, generally inflation will probably follow with that. And with all this debt and higher interest rates, it's going to concern people. And uh, I think it can also lead to, to more inflation. I, I think this thing can repeat. Now, I don't believe we're looking at 10% to 20% interest rates like we saw by 1980. I don't think we're looking at inflation at 10% or 12% or whatever it was by 1980. Uh, I do see fundamentally and economically we've made some big changes. There's some paradigm shifts here. Uh, that's going to make it difficult for interest rates to go extremely high and the same for inflation. Nevertheless, that does not negate it. The model still says we are due for some inflation. And now that we've seen what we've printed, yeah, I'm, I'm with that camp that's thinking it's coming sooner or later. It may take quite a while. I don't think we're going to see overnight inflation, that kind of thing. Um, but once we get the recession out of the way, get the economy growing, it's going to be real interesting to watch inflation and interest rates. Uh, I think you can move up. And this week, I was surprised that Jeremy Siegel, who works at the Wharton School of Business, mm -hmm. and who's been a long-time stock market bull and has done very well at it, and he came out this week saying the 40-year bear market and interest rates is over. So he's forecasting rise rates. And the thing is... I don't know what he thinks for a timeline, but at least on my modeling, it's saying, yeah, we'll probably have rising rates for the next 20 years. But I, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to alarm people in the sense that I don't think you're going to see rates triple in the near term or anything. I think it's going to be a bit of a struggle. And obviously, if they ran up too fast, we, we would create other kinds of problems. Right. You know? Yep.
But it is interesting how inflation and interest rates intertwine with one another. If you start raising inflation, pretty soon the banker just says, well, gosh, I got to get more money for these loans. Uh, I'm falling behind. So they raise interest rates. Well, it works the other way as well. If interest rates start going up, pretty soon people are saying, well, I need more for my commodity or I need more for my widgets or my services. I got higher costs, you know. So I think this can work. But uh, we'll see. I'm not so sure interest rates are truly bottomed. I, I could see where Siegel's called it, and we've seen the lowest rate, but I guess I'm going to wait a little bit longer here. And if I have to call it a little higher rate, I'm, I'm fine with that. But I, I think it's coming. I, I don't, you know, when I, especially with Billionaire Jones, uh, he's a hedge fund manager, if people don't know who he is. And he's not one of the gigantic ones, but he's been around since the 80s. I've been a fan. I like a lot of his concepts. And he didn't get where he... Uh, is without having uh, some pretty good talent intelligence there <laughs> right. and how to trade things. So uh, I'm just fascinated that I feel like I'm doing something different in this analysis, and then I can look over at someone else who, someone like Jones, I think, has 40 analysts working for him, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and all these global connections, and here he is, he's making an inflation bet as of this week, apparently. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I think that can happen. I think that's got to be on our radar screen, and I just feel like my model is, you know, followed well for a few decades here, and it's studied all the history going back 100, 200 years, and so why wouldn't I follow it for the future? You know? Rich, it's been a uh, it's it's great having you back on the podcast, man. I, I really, uh, absolutely, uh, just love what you're doing, and and really enjoy your uh, your commentary. So give that. Give that podcast out one more time and where they can find your uh, your analyst. Analyst. Sure. It's uh, criticalpoint.podbean.com. That's bean as in soybeans. <laughs> right on, right on. Okay. And then, uh, Rich, is there any other last things you want to throw out before we shut this thing down? No, let's just uh, try to all stay safe and healthy here and be tolerant and be nice to people and just work through this thing and... Uh, all I can tell is I got to be an optimist in the next ten years. Uh, we got more business to do and money to be made. Right on. Okay. Well, I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, uh, check out my website, MovingIronLLC.com, for all the latest uh, blog posts as they get dropped out there. Got one coming up here. Hopefully, I have it out about the middle of the week. Uh, kind of a continuation of what I've been writing about as far as the uh, pillars of uh, the ag equipment uh, sales department. Also check out the Global Ag Network and the great podcasters there as well. And uh, make sure you check out Rich on on Twitter. He's got some good stuff out there. And what's your what's your handle, Rich, on Twitter? Rich uh, underscore Possum, P-O-S-S-O-N. Yeah, there's good stuff out there. He's got lots of great information he puts out there. So check that out. So um, I guess until next time, I'm Casey Seymour with Rich Possum. Man, let's go out and move some iron. Out. See